Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the In Control Family Foundation podcast, and we're dealing with your teen or new driver in the family and trying to help you out. Today, I'm here with Jeremy Randall, our Director of Operations. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, Dan. And we are going to talk about looking ahead. And we've talked a number of times about how important it is to have your teen looking down the road and and paying attention. And there's some follow-up here that's going to help you keep them safer and allow them the opportunity to respond to the things they see as they look down the road. Again, we want to have you in that quiet neighborhood. I would say preferably start off with a similar neighborhood to where we had you working in last lesson and then eventually start to add some busier neighborhoods where you'll see some other car traffic because that will be beneficial to learning here. But Jeremy, if you want to get started with lesson one, I think we'd go from there. Yeah. So we're really looking at looking ahead and, and spacing here. The, the kind of lesson one idea here is the IPDE system. And I, in this case, stands for identify, right? We're looking for potential risks like other vehicles, pedestrians, obstacles, intersections, things that might come up and cause a problem for us. Then the P is for predict when and where, you know, what might happen, what conflicts or problems might come up with what you've identified. And then D is for decide on, you know, what basically what should you do about this situation or this potential problem. And E in this case is for execute that action or maneuver. So what are you actually going to do about it? Okay, let's actually do it. Really, this involves something we've already talked about quite a bit, Dan. And I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. So the concept of commentary driving, you know, I believe that long before your teen ends up driving themselves or sitting behind the steering wheel, when they're in that passenger seat, we want to practice some of this commentary driving. And so uh, if it's too late and you've got multiple kids in the family, but this is your first one getting their license, I'd encourage you to practice the same commentary driving with the future drivers in the house. And once they're in the driver's seat, now we want to have them sharing with us hey, I saw this risk. I saw these vehicles. I saw that pedestrian. Uh, What they think that pedestrian is going to do. Hey, look, that pedestrian's headed toward the crosswalk. We need to be, you know, we need to recognize that person is about to open the door on the car. So therefore, I've already learned to kind of head over to the left side of the lane to get around them because they may swing that door open right in front of you. Maybe even bring the vehicle to a stop if need be to avoid a confrontation that you don't have room to go around that car. Those are all those different things that you're going to be talking about when you do this commentary driving. And then now with them in the front seat, they're not only going to talk about it and point it out, but they're also going to execute the action. They're going to be sitting there behind the wheel and they're going to identify these things and say to you, okay, because this is going on, I need to stop. I hear a siren, so I need to pull over to the right. Talk it through. They'll learn it better and it'll literally help them when they're on their own in the future because they'll have this in the back of their mind. I was talking this through as I was actually going through the practice with my parents. And the whole idea of the the IPDE system here is to try to prevent us from having to make a last second emergency maneuvers, right? So if we're looking further down the road and we're trying to identify potential problems, we're figuring out and predicting what might go wrong, we're deciding how we would handle it and how we should handle it, and then we're actually making those changes it's preventing us from having to slam on the brake and aggressively steer at the very last second if somebody does open that door, right? And, and that's the whole idea. We're trying to, to get people more engaged in the process of driving overall. And this is even something we actually, we do it in control with experienced drivers. When we're coming in to train a group of experienced drivers, this might be one of the things we're talking about. 
maybe they're um, bus drivers or van drivers that drive people around all the time. And we're talking about these same skills. So this is something that doesn't end once they become a, a more experienced driver. This is a skill they should be holding on to and should be thinking about throughout their driving career. Now, the next up is the stopping distance rule. Why don't we discuss that? Yeah, so what we're looking at here is you're coming up to an intersection. You're coming up to a situation in which you're going to be stopping the vehicle. We want to make sure that we have enough space between the vehicle uh, that's in front of us and our vehicle when we finally stop. Okay, so the ideal situation here, you're sitting in the driver's seat or you're sitting in the passenger seat, right? And you're looking ahead of your um, ahead of your vehicle towards the back of the vehicle that's in front of you. And you want to make sure that you stop with enough space so you can see the vehicle's tires, rear tires in front of you actually touching the road surface. So when you're sitting normally, you shouldn't be stretching or you know lifting your head way up to be able to see it. You should be able to see the rear tires of the vehicle in front of you actually touching the road surface. And that allows you enough space for a, a couple different things. First, it can be an escape route. You have a, a large enough gap in front of you where you, you, if you were to turn the wheel and, and for some reason have to get to the left or the right of that vehicle that's in front of you, you have the space to do it. It also is helpful if, you know, I think we mentioned this before, God forbid, you got hit from behind. It certainly happens that you're much less likely to now hit that car in front of you. And we should also point out, too, that anytime you stop, another rule is, and we mentioned this in the last one, make sure you keep your wheels straight. The wheel should only be, uh, whenever you're stopped, your wheel should always be left straight, and you should only add steering when you're, when you're actually moving so you get that feedback. I, I think this is one of the things, if you look at most stops, if you look at intersections where their vehicles stopped, people generally are way too close to the vehicle in front of them. And, and to your point, having that uh, availability to steer around a car, I have been behind cars that start on fire where the person jumped out and just suddenly runs away. And all of a sudden I see this car on flames in front of me. And fortunately I had space to just go around them. I have been struck from behind multiple times. I don't know if there's a giant magnet in a couple of my older cars, but in those cases, I had enough space between me and the vehicle in front of me that they pushed me forward. I was able to get on the brakes. You know, They stopped and I was able to stop without bumping into somebody else. A lot of times people get struck from behind and they end up bumping into a car in front of them. And depending on the speed the car was going, you might even hit that car. One more car gets hit. So if you can avoid that and limit the damage to all these other vehicles and the headaches that you're going to bring on yourself with the insurance claims, it's in your best interest. So it sounds a little nutty when you first start practicing it, just because you don't see other people doing it as consistently, but it, very rarely is it a problem. You know, leaving a little extra space in front of you is only going to help you, and it's well worth it. Yeah, and as you start accelerating as well, if that car in front of you again hits the brakes for some reason, they start to go, and you were too close, that means your, your, your vision is also limited, right? If you're really up against that car in front of you, they start to go and then stop for some reason, you're much less likely to hit them now too. So there is definitely a lot of value in it. And, and one of the things we want to try to provide in these podcasts is not just here's what you do, we want to explain why. So then you can relate that to your driver and they're going, well, why? I have, a, I have plenty of space. I can pull up closer than this. We'll hear the reasons why. And it can be a lot more helpful to have that information for them as well. So next up, we've got the three-second rule. And I understand that has nothing to do with dropping food on the floor and picking it back up. Yeah, that's a five-second rule, Dan. Come on, everybody knows that one. But no, the three-second rule is when you're traveling down the road, the spacing that you need between your vehicle and the vehicle in front of you to be able to stop uh, safely without impacting that vehicle. So what we're really talking about here is what most people call tailgating, right? Following too close or following at the right distance. And this again is a big vision thing. 
we keep coming back to this. The more space, the first, excuse me, the further down the road you can see, the smoother and sooner you can react to things. And tailgating is a huge problem here in the United States and internationally as well, but certainly a problem in the United States, uh, you know, in the Northeast for sure. It's the number one cause of crashes nationally. It's the number one cause of crashes for new drivers. With 76% of the crashes that new drivers get into involve some form of tailgating here. So this is one that you're going to want to come back to many, many times because the average driver, maybe you as well, right? We tend to follow cars closer than we should and closer than is safe. And so let's talk about this actual three-second rule for, for just a moment. Let me, let me tell you how to do it first. You're going to look for an object in front of the car in front of you, a sign on the side of the road, a tree on the side of the road, a paint mark on the road surface, a bridge uh, pillar, anything that isn't moving, a mile marker. When the car in front of you passes that object, you can start counting. And you want to try to use honest time. So uh, one 1,000 or one Mississippi or whatever you want to use, but not one, two, three, right? You know, it's got to be honest time. Try to relax. You want to have at least three seconds between the back bumper of the vehicle in front of you passes it and your front bumper actually passing it. So you start counting when the car in front passes it. You stop counting when your vehicle passes it. Try to use honest time. Then you know how many seconds there are between you and the car in front of you. And what we're telling you is safe is three seconds or more, certainly, but three seconds. Now, before we go more into why that works and the situations in which it works, I just want to briefly touch on what I was taught originally in driver's ed for myself. The driver's ed school that I went to told me one car length per 10 miles an hour that you're traveling is what's safe. That sounds great. And I think a lot of people were taught that. Dan, were you taught that, by the way? Yes, I was. I think everybody probably, almost everybody probably was. There's some problems with that. So, you know, even if we just have a quick conversation here, so what is a car length, right? Is is kind of a difficult thing to come across, right? Is it a a, a Suburban? Is it a, a Mini Cooper? You know, obviously cars have very different lengths to them. But even if we take sort of the average car length here in the United States, and I happen to know because I've talked about this before, it's about 18 and a half feet. If you're going 20 miles an hour, right? That's one car length per 10 miles an hour. So 18 and a half times two would be what? 37. So we're looking at 37 feet. What does 37 feet look like when you're going 20 miles an hour? It's, it's really hard to actually figure that out. And it's not, I don't think I can tell you what 37 feet looks like standing still. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so, you know, is it, what if you only leave 32 feet? Is that okay? What if you leave 40 feet? Is that, so it, there becomes problems with that. And as you get up to higher and higher speeds, 60 miles an hour. All right. Uh, we're going 60 miles an hour, so 6 times uh, 18.5, what do we look at? It becomes really complicated, and all of a sudden you'd have to start doing some really complicated mental math, or at least complicated for while you're driving a car, certainly distracting. So there's a lot of reasons that doesn't work, and even if you get all those numbers perfect and you were actually able to leave that amount of space, the problem is it doesn't work because the relationship that your speed has with your ability to stop going that speed is not linear. And I don't want to get too complicated here, but let me explain it this way. If your car is going 10 miles an hour, it could take you 10 feet to stop. Maybe that's true. But if you're going 20 miles an hour, it's very unlikely that then 20 feet will be enough space. Uh, 30 miles an hour might be 60 feet to stop all of a sudden. It starts getting magnified. It starts expanding. 
you can almost look at it, and I don't want to get too complicated here, but as an exponential type situation, the faster you're going, it takes you a lot longer to stop with every mile per hour you add. So that whole theory that that we were all taught, unfortunately, does not work above 20 miles an hour. And so this three-second rule works really well because the spacing that you have in front of you changes with three seconds or one second or two seconds. It changes as your speed increases. So if I'm going five miles an hour and I leave a three-second gap in front of me, it's not a very large gap in front of me, but I'm only going five miles an hour. So I don't need a huge gap in front of me. If I'm on the highway with a three-second gap, I'm going a lot faster. At 60 miles an hour, I'm just over 90 feet per second. So with three seconds, I have 270 feet in front of me. So I have a lot more space, but I might need a lot more space, not only for my ability to stop, but my ability to react. Or what if my vehicle is a lot heavier and might take longer to stop than the car in front of me? So you can see how the three-second rule makes a lot more sense. And those three seconds are actually accounting for those three different things I just mentioned. The first one being your ability to actually react. You have to react to something happening in front of you that you weren't expecting, and that takes time. It might take a second for you to say, oh, geez, what's going on? Okay, okay, I have to hit the brake pedal. And then you have a second for the fact that not every vehicle can stop in the same distance, right? If, you, if you're driving a large pickup truck or an SUV and the car in front of you is a sports car, they're going to be able to stop in a shorter distance. So to have that extra space there to help you stop because your vehicle weighs more, that's a big advantage. So that's your second second. And the third is really there for any potential distractions you might have, right? So in a lot of ways, you can look at that third second and say, okay, geez, all right, I'm really paying perfect attention. There's a lot of cars on the road and three seconds maybe isn't attainable on this New England highway or this California highway or wherever you are in the country, that busy metropolitan area around those highways. Okay, what can we do then? Well, we can even bring it down to two seconds and still be safe. Now you're taking more of a risk. Three seconds is definitely better. But your vehicle, if you've already adjusted for your reaction time with your second and your difference in vehicle second, so you have a two second gap between you and the car in front of you, in the majority of cases, you should be able to still get that car stopped. So it is possible to bring it down to two seconds and still be safe, but you're going to want to teach it really as three, especially to your new driver. You want them to have that buffer zone. They're new. They're not going to make decisions as quickly as you might be able to. And so just understand that the three second rule is really ideal. Jeremy, I want to take it a step further. So, you know, you and I both go out across New England and talk to different groups about safe driving and present our programs and and try to reduce dangerous driving in their communities. This is a big thing. No one seems to know the three second rule. A lot of folks have heard that one car length for every, you know, 10 miles an hour. And when I explain why it doesn't work, they're kind of confused and miffed. But when I start talking about leaving three seconds, inevitably, the conversation goes the direction of, well, if I do that, people are going to cut me off. I'm never going to get anywhere. And, you know, the reality is when you're driving down the road and I drive with a minimum of three seconds between me and the vehicle in front of me under all conditions, I choose not to go the two second route, even in traffic. And yes, there are times where people pull in front of me and then I have to actually reduce my speed so that there's now three seconds because there was only one or two seconds between us for a split second. So now when I arrive at my eventual destination, I am going to be, let's say, 20 people cut me off in the course of an hour-long drive. I have to back off 20 seconds. I'm going to be 40 seconds later to where I was headed 
than I would have been if I just hugged the rear bumper of that car in front of me. Oh, and there was a chance I could have run into them because tailgating causes crashes. And we're really good at tailgating here in Massachusetts and and New England and, and really as a country. If we could all adopt this three second rule, you would be you know, showing the right behavior to your kids, you'd be modeling it perfectly, and you would be a much safer driver. Yes, you don't crash into every car in front of you constantly because you drive too close, because you probably are smart enough to know to look down the road at this point. You see brake lights approaching you, you see other cars starting to slow down, so you back off before the car directly in front of you does so. That's something your new driver is not necessarily going to be very good at. So that's one reason why you want to make sure they're doing this out of the gate. But for you personally, if you're driving too closely to the vehicle in front of you and they suddenly slow down unexpectedly, something falls off a vehicle and they slam on the brakes or something falls off a vehicle directly in front of you, you find yourself in trouble if you're not practicing this three-second rule. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, someday it will. Dan, I'd even go that one step further. You, you were mentioning maybe it takes you 40 seconds longer. I would say 20 times somebody cutting in front of you like that, even on the, you know, in the Boston busy, aggressive highways that you and I are both off and on, it might be like an hour trip that might happen 20 times. So you're talking about 40 seconds over like a very long period of time. And if you're staying out of that left-hand lane on a highway, you're in the middle lane, you're in the right-hand lane. This happens a lot less as well. And so in some ways, I I would make the argument that you might actually get there sooner by leaving more space in front of you. Uh, You're going to be a lot less likely to be involved in a crash, as obviously you pointed out. But the whole flow of traffic tends to move better when people leave more space, right? Nobody can slam on the brakes if a car does, you know, cut in front of you. You have enough space. You just back off for a moment. You mentioned going slower. It's just easing off the accelerator and then right back on to the same speed. You're not really slowing down. You're just allowing there to be a larger gap in front of you. And when you start doing this, you find that you become a much more relaxed driver as well, and you get places sooner, and it's easier. Uh, and, and so try to instill this in your new driver now. Talk about that three-second rule. Uh, if we haven't explained it well, I apologize. I'll make sure in our notes for this podcast that there's a link to some videos and stuff too. But I'll just add, if you're the victim of somebody who's tailgating you, we discourage you. Jeremy talked about you know being a relaxed driver. Nothing can be more frustrating than suddenly looking in your rearview mirror and only seeing the face of the person behind you because their vehicle's so close you can't even see the hood. You know, that can be a scary thing. And so we would encourage you under those circumstances to let them pass. Now, that's not always possible. You can be on skinny roads. You can be in a situation where somebody's really just kind of messing with you. And unfortunately, that does happen. What I would recommend is we talked in an earlier episode about trying to practice having your new driver be in different parts of the lane. There's been some research to suggest that if they move over to the right-hand side of the lane, the person behind them tends to realize that they're trying to let them pass or that they've kind of given in and they're not, you know, being, you're not being aggressive back to them. This is why we don't want you tapping on the brakes and we don't want you driving even slower than the speed limit to try to teach them a lesson. Drive like you normally would. If possible, stay a little bit to the right-hand side of the lane. And as soon as you have an opportunity to let somebody who's tailgating you pass, let them do so. And this is definitely something you not only want to teach your new driver, I can promise you, you're going to have plenty of people drive up behind you and get a little too close while you're practicing. And 40 hours of driving together or 100 hours of driving together, it's going to happen more than a few times. And it's a great opportunity to have them 
practice that. Let them try to let the person pass. Let them stay to the right-hand side of the lane and see if the person backs off and go through those things. This is also a great one to model for your driver, right? Because there are always going to be people driving right up to your back bumper. And if you're on the highway, you can just say, oh, okay, this person, you know, obviously really wants to go past me. Okay. I gave them time to go past me. I'm in the middle lane. I'll move over to the right and just let them go by. Where's the harm in that? You've solved the problem. You've made yourself and the other vehicle safer. There's, there's nothing to be uh, upset about in that situation. And if you're on that single lane in each direction, like Dan said, you know, you can pull over when it's safe to do so to let somebody go by if they're really driving, you know, right up towards the back bumper of your vehicle, especially for a new driver. They, they don't want to impede the flow of traffic. They don't want people to be angry at them. You can, to a certain degree, explain that, look, you're going the speed limit. You're doing this right. You don't have to worry about them. Don't keep staring in your rearview mirror at them because then it's distracting you as the driver from paying attention, being engaged in what's in front of you, but you do need to acknowledge they're there. And if you can't pull over, if there's nowhere to go, there are some things you can do to make yourself safer. So let's say you're in a single lane in each direction. The car behind you is right on your tail. It's frustrating your your teen, your new driver. Encourage them to leave a slightly larger gap in front of them. Now, this is not slowing down to frustrate the person. You're going the same speed as everybody else. You just eased off, and instead of a three-second gap, maybe leave double, leave up to a six-second gap. If something happens to the car in front of you and they slam on the brakes, with a larger gap, you've accounted for your three seconds and that car behind you's three seconds. Now you can get on your brakes lightly at first, allowing the car behind you to see your brake lights before they hit you, and get on their brakes too, and you and the car behind you are able to slow down at the same rate. Now, this is not exactly going to be easy for a new driver, but it's easy for them to practice this skill set and be set up to be a a really uh, safe driver in the future. Any of the negative reactions people have, Dan mentioned, you know, tapping those brakes, brake checking each other, uh, sign language from car to car, yelling at each other. These are not good practices. They don't solve the problem and they do not make you safer. Your goal should be to do one of those two things, ideally both, right? So changing lanes on the highway solves the problem, makes you safer. On a single lane, leaving that larger gap in front of you, it's not solving the problem. Until we can move over, we won't solve it completely, but it will make you safer. And like Dan said, if there is, if it's a road where people do pass, staying a little bit to that right side is going to make it easier for them to pass and them feel better about it, I guess is a better way of saying it. Like they're not going to be angry at you anymore. They kind of give that message that I, I'm not trying to be in your way. I just want you to go. I just want to be safe. I just want you to go. And, and a lot of times that's exactly what happens. And I just want to wrap up, Jeremy, with the the concept of when to leave more than three seconds. You know, if somebody's tailgating you and you're concerned about your ability to stop for, for a car that's in front of you, absolutely, you want to leave some additional space. If you have additional passengers in your car than you typically do, if you've got a, a minivan and it's full of extra people, that's a lot of weight. If you're driving a vehicle and you have some sort of material that you're driving that's heavy that extra weight will cause you to take longer to stop. If the vehicle in front of you is a fancy sports car and you're driving a 10-year-old car that you question whether the brakes are as perfect as they should be, that gives you a good reason. So keep weight and the performance of your vehicle in mind when you're traveling and extend that distance accordingly. If you're having problems, if the ABS light has come on in your dashboard and you're concerned about your brakes or if if you are headed in to get the vehicle worked on anyhow, just be conscious of these things and give yourself the extra space. It will always pay off because I can tell you this, if you crash into the rear end of the vehicle in front of you, 
on 99.9% of the times that it ever happens, the person who ran into the vehicle in front of them is going to be found at fault and you're going to pay for it. And, and you, you should be at fault. In that, in that case, it's your fault. You need to leave the appropriate space and you need to adjust your speed as well. And I will say those two examples you've gave, I like leaving additional space there, but maybe also take a couple miles of speed off as well, right? If you have more people in your car, you have more weight, you can't stop as, as quickly. The best way to take, in a, take advantage of that and, and become safer is to actually reduce your speed by a small percentage there maybe two or three miles an hour, uh, less than that speed limit you would have gone otherwise. Same thing if that sports car is in front of you and you're driving that old pickup truck, maybe the brakes aren't as good, then take a little bit of speed off. You can also leave more space in front of you, but you always control your speed. You don't necessarily always control what's in front of you, like somebody blowing a stop sign or there being some other problem or a piece of machinery falling off the truck. You don't necessarily control that exact spacing all the time, but you do control your speed. Well, I think we did a good job here with looking ahead. And Jeremy, I thank you again for your help and participation here. For those of you tuning in to hear us today, thank you very much for joining us. And we look forward to you hearing us again soon.